As I mentioned, we began our new Sunday school curriculum this morning for our children. Excuse me while I move this. And this passage that we're going to study this morning gets to the heart of why I feel like this is so important, but from a bit of a different angle than I've talked about before. Um, And that's really about all I'm going to say in introduction to the passage. I really just want to dive into the scripture with you this morning. Um, Before I do, let's go to God in prayer and ask for help to understand this. Let's ask that uh, we would be given ears to hear, that we would change. How many times have we come to the study of God's word and walked away exactly how we came to it? I pray that that would not be the case this morning. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful and humbled at the opportunity to attempt to explain it to your people. I pray that you would help me, speak through me. I pray that you would enable me to explain it clearly. I pray that you would give us all ears to hear and hearts willing to receive the truth from your word this morning. And we all just look to you for this and rest in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage that we read from Hebrews chapter 2 comes, as you might have guessed, right after Hebrews chapter 1. And in that first verse, it has the word therefore, which means we need to understand what happened in chapter 1 to understand what happens here in our passage. Chapter 1 is this amazing explanation of how magnificent Jesus Christ is, particularly from the angle of how much better he is even than the angels. In the Old Testament, when an angel would come to people, they would fall down and worship. And the angels would have to say, no, 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 don't worship me. You're only supposed to worship God. Angels are creatures that are amazing enough that people are tempted to worship them. Hebrews chapter 1 explains that Christ is far above and beyond more worthy of our worship even than angels. In chapter 1, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. It says that it is through Jesus... That God has most clearly communicated himself to the world. Jesus is the heir of all things. God made the world through Jesus. And I really like this. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of God's being. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus provided purification from sins. Now he sits at the right hand of the the Father. Jesus is superior to the angels. He has a name superior to the angels. Only Jesus is God's son, his only begotten son. Jesus is to be worshipped. Even the angels are to worship Jesus. His throne will last forever. His enemies will be like his footstool. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 explains. That's what comes just before the passage we're about to study. So it's important to get that before we can understand this. And then chapter 2 says, We must pay more careful attention. Therefore, because of all this, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. The writer's saying, because of all this about Jesus, because all this is true, we must stay tied to what we have heard from him and about him. 
We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard from and about Jesus. So we must pay attention. Easy application point, right? I mean, how do we pay attention? You guys know how to pay attention. We do it all the time. If we're driving down the road and a police officer is behind us, we pay attention to our speedometer. We keep our eyes on it. If you're planning a beach trip like we just had and you know there's a massive hurricane hurtling toward the coast, you pay attention to the weather channel. You keep checking back. If you have a favorite author, you pay attention when new books come out. If you're a movie lover, you pay attention. You're aware of what's coming up. You're probably aware that George Clooney has a movie coming out named Men Who Stare at Goats. True. He does. Maybe not many movie lovers in here to that extent that know about that yet. If you think you've posted a clever Facebook status message, you pay attention to see if anyone has commented on it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you do not. That's okay. We know how to pay close attention to something. That's not hard. Unless we are just plain not interested. And then paying attention becomes difficult. And this explains how some of us can be glued to a TV screen for four hours of a race. But here we are five minutes into a sermon and you can't keep your eyes open. We know how to pay attention unless it's just something that we're not interested in. Now, how can this be? How can some of us, Christians even, given all that we just said about Jesus Christ, how can it be that we cannot be interested? How can that be? How can we be more interested in anything else but the one who is the most worthy of our attention and our worship? When we know that it's through Jesus that God has most clearly communicated himself, When we know that it's through Jesus that God created all of this. When we know that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, that he is the exact representation of God's being. How can we be uninterested? How can we be uninterested when we know that Jesus is our only hope for life now and eternal life later? How can we become uninterested when we know that Jesus is the center point of all of history? He split it right smack in half. How can we become uninterested when we know that Jesus is the epitome of everything we're supposed to be trying to be? How does that happen to us? I think the answer is in the second part of this verse. In verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, meaning about Jesus and from Jesus. So that we do not drift away. We must pay more careful attention so that we will not drift away. The words that this writer is using here are nautical words. The word used for pay attention to was used by people at the harbor. It was words that they would use to describe how they would moor a ship to the harbor so that it would not continue on down in the current. And this word drift away was used in the same context. 
You know, when you park your, your boat, you have to tie it to something. You guys didn't have to tie your car to anything when you parked it here this morning. And you're not likely to go out after this sermon and have your keys and be hitting the button and be like, where's my car? And see, it's across the street. It's going to be where you left it. That's not the way it is with boats. You have to tie it to something. Or else it'll just drift away. That's the language that he's using here. The word means to flow by or carelessly drift away. It's like that scene in Forrest Gump. Where he's on the shrimp boat and he sees Lieutenant Dan on the pier. And he's so excited, he jumps off, swims to him. Gives no thought to where his boat's headed. It's just gone. And later on you see it crash through a pier behind him. He's like, oh, that's my boat back there. That's what this language is talking about. Carelessly just letting something just drift away. Not even noticing. I was at the beach last week, like I mentioned, and... Uh, I think this would be a common experience. You go out to the beach, you have your umbrella stuck in the sand, you have your chair laid there, and your books on it, and your whatever, your flip-flops, whatever you've brought to the beach with you, you, you stake out a spot on the beach, as far away from anybody else as you can. It wasn't hard this week. There wasn't anybody there. And then you go out into the ocean. If you're brave, everyone keeps telling me that there are sharks biting like crazy at the beach, but I didn't believe it. So you go out to the ocean. And you're playing around, you're talking with whoever's out there with you, um, not paying much attention. And the next thing you know, you look up, and you're like, where's my stuff? Where's my, my big blue umbrella? And my pile of books and everything, where is it? And then you look 50 yards down the beach, it's over there. You're like, how in the world did that happen? I've only been out here five minutes. My iPod's over there. There's some shady looking people in the towel next to me. You know how you get washed down the beach without even noticing? That's what the writer's describing here. Asking the question, how can we become uninterested in something as amazing as Jesus Christ? It's like asking, how could you get washed down the beach from where all your stuff is? It's really easy. It's really easy. All you have to do is nothing. That's all you have to do. To drift away. And you won't even notice it happening. Because the current will always be pushing us and pulling us away from Jesus Christ. The current will always be doing this. It's a given in this world that the current will always be pulling you away from Jesus Christ. Some of you think that you're fine. Because you're here at church this morning, aren't you? And, and you look to the people to your right and to your left, and they're in the same position you are. And you feel fine. But you cannot determine if you've drifted by looking at the people around you. Because they've probably drifted right there with you. You have to look back at the beach to your stuff, to the stationary fixed point, to figure out if you've drifted. Some of you don't think God's talking to you right now. I have a little test for you to see if we are as fastened to Jesus, tied to Jesus, as we might think that we are. Okay? You ready? It's an intense test. Okay. Scenario number one. Somebody just passed out over here. There. <laughs> Scenario one. There's a person in your life that you just cannot stand. 
I cannot stand this person. You won't use the word hate because, you know, that's not a good thing to do. But you really dislike this person. Now, many of you have an individual or individuals floating up to your mind right now. You don't have to say their names out loud. God knows. I'm just kidding, but actually he does. And you know that they hate you too. That's part of the reason why you dislike them so much. Okay, now imagine this person. You're in some public setting, out in the foyer maybe, or at work, or with your family, wherever you would see this person. This person comes up and just starts cussing you out. You don't even know what to do. They're just cussing you out. And they walk up to you and they just open-handed slap you across the face. Picture this. Imagine yourself in this position. They start shoving you. Pushing you around until you fall to the ground. On the ground, the final insult, they grab your wallet, take it, and just walk off. Okay? Now, how do you react? I'm going to flip to the book of Luke to see how someone fastened to Jesus reacts. Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn there. How do you react? If this happens to you, Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 37. We'll see what Jesus has to say about how one ought to react. I'm sorry, starting at verse 27. Jesus says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek... Turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to other sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Because He, meaning God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. How many of us are tied to Jesus like that? Scenario number two. Or question, rather. Are you the type of person who, A, never notices anything wrong in anyone else? Never notices mistakes or even sins or bad things that people do around you? You're like someone in my wife's family who I got to know better after she passed away. But everyone said the same thing. They said she never said a bad thing about anybody. I always gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. Are you that type of person? Or are you person B? Constantly noticing things that everyone around you is doing wrong. Constantly talking about what such and such did. Can you believe what such and such did? You seem to have an acute awareness of what everybody else is doing wrong. Which type of person are you more like? Let's see what, the type, what type of person uh, someone who's tied to Jesus would be. In verse 37, do not judge, Jesus says, and you will not be judged. 
Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When's the last time you were convicted of your own sin? That will give us some indication of how closely you're paying attention to Jesus Christ. I could go on and on. He said so many things that are just radical. I'm just going to say one more. And it's when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He gave two. I'm just going to throw one at you to see if you have drifted or if you are fastened to Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the number one commandment is this. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. How are you doing on that? Where's your heart? What do you love? How far have we drifted? Back in Hebrews, let's read on. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? He's saying since everything God has communicated to us through angels, any way he's communicated it, has always proved true. It's always been binding. And we know that without Christ, there is certain punishment. He's saying how can we escape that punishment If we ignore or neglect so great a salvation, how can any of us escape eternal punishment if we allow ourselves to drift away from Christ? How can any of us expect to escape eternal punishment if we ignore so great a salvation? Neglect is literally what the word means. And that's how it happens, I think. Neglect. It starts to happen in our lives as individuals. We start to neglect, ignore, take our eyes off of Jesus, our beach umbrella on the shore of salvation, if you will. We just start to neglect it, start to get distracted, and we start drifting away from it. We attend church with little thought about Jesus, who he is, what he means. What it means for us, what he's done. We go home continuing to be careless about him. We focus on our lunch plans, our newspaper, our TV. We go to bed at night. Jesus is far from our minds. We're thinking about the day to come, the decisions to be made, the tasks to complete. We wake up, the name of Jesus by this point is so far from our consciousness, we can't even see him down the shore anymore. And we launch into our week, Christless. We leave our Bibles in our car or on the shelf. We're far too busy to listen to his voice. And in this lifestyle of neglect of Christ, it passes on to our children. 
We can keep them in church, but if they see us carelessly drifting from him through the week, their subconscious little minds form the worldview that Jesus is just a character in the mythology of church, unimportant for real life. And so as they grow up, they have drifted way further than you even have. Away from the shore, no land in sight. And that's how we drift. Neglect causes it. And then our church becomes filled with these people who have just drifted out to sea. They call themselves Christians. Some may be Christians. Some may not. They sing the songs, but in their hearts, what God looks at, it is gone. It has long since drifted away. And then that's how fluffy preaching and teaching fills the pulpits and the churches to scratch the itching ears. The church turns inward. The only growth that you see is future generations of the same family or people from other churches who are also drifting. No new converts because people aren't seeing Christ anymore. They're seeing more driftwood just like them. Gimmicky events and traditions take the place of God's word. Soon we start wanting program after program rather than verse after verse because we can't even hear Christ anymore. We would want anything that will distract us from it in our true condition. And before we even realize it, we've drifted away and our families have drifted away and our church has drifted away. And we cannot escape our just punishment because we've ignored so great a salvation. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. People do not run, sprint, dive into hell. They drift there slowly, subtly, without knowing it. Families do not run and jump and plan To self-destruct. They drift there. Slowly and subtly. Without realizing. Churches do not plan to crack and crumble. To grow dry and dead. It drifts that way. Slowly and subtly. Without anyone noticing. And then all of a sudden we look at our lives and we think. What happened? What happened to me? How did I become like this? So depressed. So alone, so isolated. How did my family come to this? How did my church come to this? Suddenly we're looking, we're like, where am I? Some of you, this describes your life. I don't pretend to know who. It just happens so easily. And some of you are catching a glimpse of Jesus again this morning. Over the waves of your life, you're seeing him out there. And you're remembering, yes, that is my marker. That's what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. And you're thinking, is it too late? Have I drifted too far? No, you haven't. But I will say this. Now is your chance. 
If you are ever going to stop drifting carelessly away, now is your chance. Please do not think because you're at church this morning that you're not drifting because the current can be every bit as strong, maybe stronger, in those pews as it is out those doors. If you know this is you, now is your chance. Because soon I'm going to shut this Bible. Our last song will be over. The suits and smiles are going to flood the walkway again. The small talk and banter are going to distract you immediately. And you're just going to start getting carried away again. The silence of this moment is your chance. If you flow out that door without doing anything now, the current will be strong. And soon today will be over. Soon this week will be over. Soon this month will be over. This year will be over. Soon your life will be over. We're about to sing our final song. As we do, either in your pew or up at this altar, wherever it's most genuine for you, talk to God about this. Simple prayers are all it takes. God, help me to stop drifting. Help me to pay attention to Christ. Help me not neglect so great a salvation. Don't let me be one of these people who doesn't know it, but just drifts their whole life until it's over. Come up front and I will pray with you and we will help each other avoid this drift.